solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Bum, bum, ba, bum, 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 bum. Chapter 5, Diagon Alley. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. I'm Molly. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is Potter Watch. So we're on Chapter 5, Diagon Alley, and... As the title says, this is the chapter where Hagrid takes Harry into Diagon Alley to buy all of his school books, and we meet a lot of important characters to the series, and that's it. And last week, the password for the episode was the Leaky Cauldron, the pub where... Hagrid takes Harry to, and the entrance to Diagon Alley. We know this was a very difficult um, question to tune into. Um, I hope you were successful. Uh, so let's jump right in, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think? <laughs> so, first of all, I love this chapter. It's where things like really start to get magical, and we brought this up in the... Fantastic Beast podcast. We haven't brought it up in this one yet. How wonderful it is to have Harry to experience all of this through. To, as, along with the reader. Maybe we have talked about it in this podcast. I can't remember. But, um, just especially with uh, Diagon Alley, because then Hagrid has to explain everything to Harry. And we get this sort of odd experience of all of the new things that we're learning about the magical world. And... I think that it does a really good job of building the world out and like you're saying like seeing it through Harry's eyes just gives us an opportunity to see everything fresh and I think that um one way that she does that really well and very I guess casually like in the text was when they're still in the boat and Hagrid's reading the newspaper. Harry sat and thought about this while Hagrid read his newspaper. The Daily Prophet. Harry had learned from Uncle Vernon that people liked to be left alone while they did this, but it was very difficult. He'd never had so many questions in his life. Ministry of Magic, messing things up as usual, Hagrid muttered, turning the page. There's a Ministry of Magic, Harry asked, before he could stop himself. Of course, said Hagrid. They wanted Dumbledore for minister, of course, but he'd never leave Hogwarts. So old Cornelius Fudge got the job. Bungler if ever there was one. So he pelts Dumbledore with owls every morning asking for advice. But what does a Ministry of Magic do? Well, their main job is to keep it from the muggles that there's still witches and wizards up and down the country. Why? Why? Blimey, Harry, everyone would be wanting magic solutions to their problems. Nah, We're best left alone. So I think that it just does a really good job of introducing what the Ministry of Magic is, who even Cornelius Fudge is, who becomes an important character throughout the series, how Dumbledore is perceived in the world. Like, it just does such a good job of introducing all of this just by, you know, talking about the newspaper. And I think that's just done really well. Yeah, I also just like the specifics of what Hagrid's talking about. The detail about oh, this is why we keep the magical world a secret, I think is really interesting hearing it from Hagrid's point of view because it's especially like having just watched Fantastic Beasts, it seems like magic 
is kept from muggles because muggles were, like, killing wizards. And, like, scared of it. And scared of it. And Hagrid seems to interpret magic needing to be a secret because muggles would want to harness it and use it, which I think is true. We'd want, we'd do both things. We'd be terrified of it and also want to study it and we'd want, I don't know, we'd want to use it, like Hagrid's saying, so. And Hagrid is, like, kind of a simple character, so he simplifies things that Mm -hmm. are really complicated and I think that's really good when we are first getting introduced. And I think it can be a complicated issue when you start talking about Muggleborns and all of that later on in the series, but when we're first getting introduced to it, it's nice to just have a, a fresh, clear understanding of the world. I think that's a really, really good point. Like, if we were, if Dumbledore or McGonagall had been leading Harry on this journey, we'd have to, it wouldn't yeah, have been, like... Yeah, be a class. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's fun about this chapter is that even though we get so much information and we have to absorb so much information about the world, you're right, Hagrid does explain it like he's explaining it to a child because that's the way he interprets things. Right. And so the it the chapter can remain fast-paced and we still are in awe of everything and we're getting things quickly, you know? Uh, one thing I did want to talk about before, um, the very first sentence of the book where Harry thinks that it's a dream Mm -hmm. when I first read that I can or when I first remember hearing my mom reading it I can just remember like my heart sinking and even now even though I know that it's like real Mm -hmm. my heart just sinks at the idea that he did dream it all and like it is Ampertinia coming to and it's like oh I just like love it because it's that moment of um that pity for Harry that's suddenly uplifted you're like oh no things are looking up for him but it's just that to remind you, you know, it almost wasn't like this. Yes. Before you get to see this beautiful world and everything. So I just, I like that. That reminds me of what you were saying, like the theory about that it's all a dream. (laughs) It just, it's so heartbreaking. Why would anyone want to believe that? Anyway, (laughs) um, what I love about the beginning of this chapter is that they slept there. (laughs) Like, they just stay. Just super normal Dursleys stayed in their room. The Dursleys are in their room with Dudley, with Dudley's pigtail. Like, I love this image of Harry and Hagrid just sleeping on the floor of that cottage all night. Like, did the Dursleys sleep that night? Because I wouldn't have if I had been the Dursleys. I want a little image of the Dursleys locked in that upstairs room, like, Like, shaking. to the door. Um... I had a question, though, like, when Hagrid says he flew there, like, how did he fly? I had this question, too. How did he fly? A Thestral? I don't know. I don't know. And it also says, but I feel like maybe a broom, because he's too heavy for brooms. He says that later. And he doesn't take the motorbike because it's nowhere to be seen. Right. But he also says And I don't think he can apparate. But he says he it, he implies that he used, used magic, magic to get there, so it seems like he apparated. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was just something that she hadn't really fleshed out yet was transportation for wizards, mm-hmm. which was fine, um, but it, it did make me question. And then obviously, I think a lot of people have this question, does the boat ever go back for the Dursleys? <laughs> like, I just assume he, like, sends it back, but, like, just imagine the Dursleys being stranded on that rock until... <laughs> I don't know if he sends it back. 
TBH. Maybe the toothless man rescues his buddy Vernon. <laughs> um, uh, another thing about that quote, I know we're a little bit past it now, but um, it's the first glimpse we get of the anti-ministry, anti-government Definitely. that I think is really sets the tone for how at least the like characters we perceive as good feel about the ministry. And about Fudge, like ha- even Hagrid's like, oh, Fudge is like yeah, nothing. You they wanted, idea. they wanted Dumbledore, you know, just another like these little uh, Easter eggs or thoughts that she plants into our head from the very beginning are so good. And that's probably like the only. I think there's one more mention of the Ministry in this chapter, really, because um, they mention it at the very end, like. Dumbledore is allegedly going to the ministry, but other than that, they don't talk about the ministry, which I think is great because that gives it something to talk about. In the second book, we we get to meet Fudge, so it definitely is like a nice little seed that she plants that doesn't really get fulfilled till, you know, really the end of the series, but definitely. And I think that's a really hard thing to do when you're writing a book of this scale where you have to create a whole world is how much information do you give the reader at a certain time? I did wonder, though, with the newspaper, um, didn't Harry notice that the pictures were moving on the newspaper? But he really doesn't notice that pictures move until he talks to Ron on the train in the next chapter. That's just a little thing, too. (laughs) Hagrid also brings up goblins and how they never miss a trick and don't mess with goblins. And I know we get... a warning. We know we get our good pal grip hook later in this chapter, but uh, at the first mention of it, I was like, what? That's coming back later. Like, do not mess with goblins. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, and Hagrid kind of represents the wider wizarding world in this way, is that he's so oblivious to the fact that Harry literally doesn't know anything. Yeah. He says things like, oh, well, obviously this or this, and and Harry's just like, what? Like, I have no idea. Like, I know nothing. And it's all so new to him, and and I think it shows that the wizards just don't fully understand how little muggles know about wizards. What they they perceive as just... But I also think it's because, and you get what is so great about this chapter is they have to take the muggle train. Right. So you go from Hagrid not knowing anything about the muggle world to Harry not knowing anything about the wizarding world. And I just, the, the juxtaposition is great because it's like these two worlds literally don't know anything about each other. That's such a good point. And um, Hagrid says something like, Along the lines of, oh, these muggles, all these things they come up with. And I always think it's interesting how the wizarding world perceives all the muggle gadgets and things like that. If you're a, if you're a wizard that likes right. muggles, anyway. But I think it's really smart that she does that. That she shows us that full journey that they take. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think that's a really good point about how they're both living these completely separate worlds and lives. Um, so kind of switching more towards the Leaky Cauldron and Diagon Alley in general, we get our first mention of Fantastic Beasts in this chapter when he's reading his list. Yes, and which is interesting. I had that as like a what note because what, what class, class is he using that book I said the same thing, for? but I, th- I think it's Defense Against the Dark Arts. 
Because in that class, they talk about all different creatures, Mm -hmm. at least when Lupin teaches it. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was thinking. And maybe it's just um, general, like um, Miranda Hopkirk's or whatever, Guide to Mm -hmm. Magic. I don't... Whatever that... One of the yeah, yeah, yeah. grade um, one. It's like general spells. So I uh, think standard it's... book of spells, grade one, Miranda Goshwalk. Yeah. So I think it's just a, a general book for everyone. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming Defense Against the Dark Arts. Because yeah, when they take care of magical creatures, it's the monster book of monsters. Uh, right. But I'm so glad we got Newt and now it just it makes me happy because we know about Newt now. I know. Uh, I love it. Um, just quickly before we move on to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, another seed she plants in this chapter is Hagrid saying, oh, I've always wanted a dragon. Yeah, good point. Which is... Which pays off later in this book. In this book, yeah. And Harry, and Harry remembers it later, like when he's talking to uh, Ron and Hermione about it. Yeah. He, I think because he's so taken aback. Yeah, he's like, you want a dragon? And, um, I think here he might write it off as something that's, like, oh, like, all Everybody, wizards yeah. must want a dragon. They have pet dragons. Um, so, now we're in, in the Leaky Cauldron. Is that where you are in your notes? Um. Or did you have something before we get to the Leaky nope, Cauldron? Nope, I'm at Leaky. <laughs> okay. So, how do they all know what he looks like? That's my biggest question. I guess it's the scar. But... I assume it's the scar, but and I had the same question while I was reading, but I also think it's because he looks so much like his dad. And True. I think if you're if I were trying to find out this who the, what this child was who saved my life, saved the wizarding world, I would look at the pictures of his dad and his mom. I would know everything about his family because that's the information that I had. But they're not, like, expecting him. I mean, this was, like, 11 years ago. How many people are really counting down, okay, so Harry Potter is going to be starting... Like, I don't know if people are that... I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying that they know what his dad looks like. So they're like, oh, this must be Harry. Because, like, Malfoy didn't recognize him later in this chapter he but that's but that's what i'm saying i feel like that's something an adult the adults would do yeah and also his i don't feel like malfoy's parents would be the kind of parents who would be obsessed with what harry looked like unless they thought he was going to be like the next dark wizard which some people i guess thought but even so why would they show draco that yeah no i think i think you're making a good point it was just something I, i was wondering about um, but with with meeting all the people at the Leaky Cauldron, I love that it builds such a small community because these are a lot of names that we hear again, like Deedalus Diggle and like mm-hmm. Doris Crockford. And I think that that's so great. And I think throughout the series, you get to know a lot of the characters' names. She uses a lot of them, even if it's like subtle things like the Bones is. I think it just shows that the Wizarding World is a very tight-knit, small community. And I think it's shown in these kinds of moments where you get these, like, background characters, essentially. And it's just so, it's so clear how much thought was put in to, like, these wizarding families, and keeping track of all these characters that are mentioned is insane. She must have had, like, a running list or something to go, be able to go back to them and stuff. Yeah, but even, like, when you read her autobiography and stuff, her 
her first notes are like done on paper and I'm sitting here like the idea of and I like to write too and I have this idea book that my mom gave me and I like when I'm writing a story I'll like write down all the characters and I'll like do what you know if they have like special gifts or whatever I'll write it all out and that's like with a list of like 15 at most characters so I'm trying to imagine this handwritten like hundreds hundreds of characters characters, this world that she created and it's it's mind-boggling and I love that even with all of these characters that are just one-off characters really she just gives you at least one little descriptor so you're able to visualize what each which not every book does that some books you know if it's just somebody that they're meeting they'll be like a woman handed you this or something like that and kudos to Jim Dale for being able to do a different voice for every single character. Yes. I, like I, we said in the first one, I just finished listening to all of them, and I was astounded. I was so impressed. I was like, every single small one little character has a different Irish dialect. Like, what was going on? It was it was very good. Oh, one one quick note I had um, was Harry says, "Imagine if the Dursleys had been playing a trick on him or something like that." And I was just wondering what that would be if like the Dursleys had come up with this elaborate prank for Harry. Like that would show that they cared more than they actually do if they're willing to put that much work in. But I also think that's part of the. He's so like he can't believe. This is happening to him. Definitely. Because even for me, who had a happy life, this is, like, on a different level of joy. And so... He can't, yeah. He's like, I don't deserve this. I've never deserved this kind of thing before. And it's, uh, it's similar to when they're talking about the flying car, when, when they're talking about how can, how can muggles not see all the little magical things that are happening from day to day? Right. And the response is, oh, muggles don't see anything. Like... We, yeah. we reason our way out of things, and I think this is a good Harry's mental process. is just like, I can't under, I'm seeing it, but I can't comprehend that this is real. I think so, too. Um, so when you watched the DVD, did you ever play the bonus games and stuff? Yes. Because I always think of um, the brick like, having to figure out the bricks mm-hmm. on the DVD game whenever I read or watch the first, um, book. <laughs> and I just always think about trying to, like, match the, the correct bricks, um, for the DVD game. <laughs> just a little nerdy thing. So had Harry Potter seen it? I had the Harry Potter seen it for the second book. I think I had it for the fourth. I know we had it, like, memorized <laughs> after, like, three rounds. Um, so... Going into, or did you have any more notes about, like, Quirrell or yeah, anything? Yeah, I was, what do you think about this first meeting of Quirrell? I was really trying to look for any little clues this time around, and the only thing that there is, is it, once again, like, she's so good at setting up mystery, this, he was fine when he was at school, um, but then his practical knowledge, he went away for a year yeah. and came back, and then we learn, obviously, what that year entailed later, but it's just such a good, like, setting up the mystery is that this stuttering, nervous guy. And he's there to get a book about v- vampires. V- vampires. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't, 
I, I think she does a really good job of keeping him low profile. Uh, I definitely didn't didn't think he was anything of note reading this chapter. And I and I like that. I like that she does set up the mystery, but that it is still a secret from us, which is a hard balance to sort of straddle because and so making him a significant character. Right. I hate it in mystery when I either can't see the trail, like if I can't look back and figure out right. like what I missed, then something has gone wrong. Similarly, if I figure it out in the first page, exactly. something has gone wrong. Um, so I love the description that of Harry being introduced to Diagon Alley for the first time. And I felt like I got to feel that, so Alex and I went to the Wizarding World uh, for the first time, well, my first time. It was my second time, but I went with my dad, who isn't a real (laughs) Harry Potter fan the first time, so I pretended like this was my first time. So we went um, last March, and I just remember going into it, and it was, like, really crowded, just like it's described in the book, and, um, well, let me play the, the clip first of Harry's perspective. Welcome, said Hagrid, to Diagon Alley. Harry wished he had about eight more eyes. He turned his head in every direction as they walked up the street, trying to look at everything at once. The shops, the things outside them, the people doing their shopping. A plump woman outside an apothecary was shaking her head as they passed, saying, Dragon liver seventeen sickles an ounce? They're mad. A low, soft hooting came from a dark shop with a sign saying, Ilops Owl Emporium, tawny, screech, barn, brown, and snowy. Several boys of about Harry's age had their noses pressed against a window with broomsticks in it. Look, Harry heard one of them say, the new Nimbus 2000, fastest ever. There were shops selling robes, shops selling telescopes and strange silver instruments Harry had never seen before, windows stacked with barrels of bat spleens and eels' eyes, tottering piles of spell books, quills and rolls of parchment, potion bottles, globes of the moon. So I felt like Harry, like, trying to see everything, all the different shops, and Universal did a really good job of all the detail they put into all of the little shops. Like, they made them look aged, like, with the paint on the walls and, like... And they moved on the inside. Yeah. And it, and it was just little things they brought up, even the ones that you couldn't go... Because you can't go into every shop. Right. But, um... The, the stacks of books. The and... little details that they put into the storefronts were just lovely. And I, similarly, when I went, even the second time... Um, the first time I went, like I said, I went with my dad, who isn't a real Harry Potter fan, which I loved going with him. It was fun. Uh, I just want to say that in case he's listening. Um, <laughs> but um, it was also, we went, we had to go at night. And so it was rainy and it was dark. But when we went together, I just remember trying to see every single thing at once and it you can't but your like eyes are trying to do it and we went for three days which was really lucky because I didn't get to see everything or go into every shop the first time so I just I love that feeling and if you guys if you listeners get the opportunity to go to Harry Potter world it is worth it I think it's so worth it and it on just for any clearly Molly and I are huge fans of Harry Potter 
but for a fan to experience that, uh, it honestly, I was so happy. That's one of my favorite vacations I've ever taken. I mean, clearly, we were graduating, so it was our huge group of friends, um, and that was nice, too, to say goodbye in this sort of way that felt really nostalgic, but... um just experiencing it. I'm sure if you know, if you've been, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't gone, plan to go save up money. There's, there are deals for it all the time. Yeah, it, it is expensive, just like a real diagonally. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that up, but I just love it. And um, actually, while listening to that quote, I did have a query um, that... Um, they describe a plump woman who's saying that uh, dragon string, I think she says dragon string, 17 sickles. Do you think that could be Molly Weasley? I think so. I, I, I want to believe it. Fan theory. Yeah. Fanon, is that what they call it? Yeah, they Fandom often canon. describe her as uh, a plump. And they also, you know, obviously they they don't have a lot of money, so she would be concerned about how much something costs. So I just thought maybe that was a little Easter egg, who knows, or just a coincidence. <laughs> uh, not every plump woman has to be Molly Weasley. There's but... only one plump woman in the whole Wizarding World. <laughs> I think that's a description that J.K. Rowling just likes to use, um, which is fine, but I just had a thought that maybe that was Molly Weasley. <laughs> Um, just another thing, a backpedaling about this Quirrell and the, and the rumors surrounding him. What I have in my notes is just the discussion of rumors in the wizarding world. Because it is such a small society of people, and like you said, close-knit. It's hard, really, to get a clear idea of anything that's happening. I think they talk a lot and people spread a lot of rumors, but nobody has a clear idea about anything. We see this come back. It's all hush-hush. Yeah, when, um, in 4, when, when the, when people start becoming, going missing, there are all these rumors about that. And there are rumors about he who must not be named, like they, we all have this silent agreement that we don't say Voldemort's name, and nobody really knows what happened to Harry that night. It's just, it's, I think it's really interesting the rumors that are spread in the wizarding world and that whole concept, because the muggle world is too big for that. We can't do that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they all don't say his name like I'm trying to think of if there's anything comparable to that and I guess there's like certain words that are like taboo that like people don't say anymore but nothing like that like that people are like people say the name Hitler and things like that like no one yeah but I'm trying to think of maybe maybe there are because it's so like the first Wizarding World War wasn't that long ago, so maybe it's because it's so fresh that you just don't True. speak of it. I don't know. Not obviously, it's completely different than the Red Scare because that was you know right paranoia as opposed to yeah, and that's something that it was also like in whispers like are they a communist or something right. like that. But I can't think of. I mean, this is obviously like more dramatic not saying someone's name but I think that was also started by Voldemort himself because he didn't want he wanted his name to be kind of sacred um and also we had this um we had a German exchange student I remember in when I was in high school 
and she was saying that in Germany you like don't bring up the Holocaust and you and you don't speak like Hitler's name like you don't talk about it. I think somebody had, you know, played her a video that was like making like a joke about it or something. Which I don't know why anyone would do that, but uh, they did that and she reacted very negatively. It's like you don't talk about it, so maybe it's that sort of thing. It's like even though a lot of the Wizarding World's is anti-Voldemort, it's still something that happened within their own community. So maybe it's just something that they're ashamed of. It's like you just don't talk about it. That's a really good point. I think that you're right that in other cultures it's it's more significant not to say something or not to talk about it, whereas in America it's kind of like, oh, we yeah, talk about everything. Like our... We try and make light of things. Like I think the way people cope with things is to like try and make jokes about it. And there's mm-hmm. like videos like making fun of Hitler. And that's like... America's way of like coping I guess um whereas other cultures like that's very disrespectful or and when we do something wrong I feel like we rationalize it like when we put it in history books and stuff like that like we still don't talk about like we still celebrate Thanksgiving the way that we do you know what I'm saying so it's I think it's just funny that we're like Oh, we don't, like, we were like, oh, yeah, we don't really understand that, but I think it's, like, our cultural bias. I think, yeah, you're right that it is a cultural thing. Okay, so um, another great thing that I love about these books is um, her ability to experiment with forms and language and her poetry within her books, like, with the sorting hat, which we'll see later, Um, and now... Our introduction to Green Gots is this poem. Enter, stranger, but take heed of what awaits the sin of greed. For those who take but do not earn must pay most dearly in their turn. So if you seek beneath our floors a treasure that was never yours, thief, you have been warned, beware of finding more than treasure there. Yeah, so I think that is such a clever and cute... I, I mean, it's, like, cute, I guess. It's cute and scary. <laughs> it's, yeah, cute may be the wrong word. <laughs> but it's, like, it. the language is cute, and I think it's so clever, and it's fun for kids. Like, I, I like this part, and I love all the little songs that we get later. I love that as a kid. I love it now. Um... But I actually forgot that we get this little poem here, which is why I brought it up, because I, it was a surprise to me, no matter how many times I've read this. Which but, Harry also, he remembers it, though, because he quotes it back to Griphook in the seventh book. The very end of it. Thief, you have been warned. <laughs> Harry has an incredible memory. Uh, yes, I think uh, it really resonates with him, and I think the goblins in general really resonate with him, even though he doesn't pay attention in History of Magic. His, uh, practical experience with goblins resonates with him. I feel bad for History of Magic because Ben's is so boring. Like, I would feel like History of Magic should be so interesting, but even Hermione has trouble staying awake because Ben's, you just, you know, know. you ever had interesting subjects where your teachers are just terrible? Political philosophy. (laughs) Uh, So my thought, similar to you, was just the introduction of goblins in general is so interesting, and I like that they're not introduced as either, like, really good people or good creatures or bad it's kind of like the centaurs where they're very much their own and 
I like how they're set up as their own species with their own rules. And that, again, comes back in later books. And Bill Weasley can explain it um, a little bit better to, like, Harry. And even Ron can explain it better because it's... They, they do. They play by their own rules and their own cultural And they norms. have their own magic, even. Yeah. It's like... What I think is really interesting about this is that you... We don't have that species issue. Like, humans are super egotistical, and we think that we're better than other creatures, but, you know, animals can't talk, so they can't defend themselves. You know what I'm saying? So from that standpoint, it's different. But there are magical creatures, and then there are wizards, and then there are these people who are, like, kind of a combination. And they have to... And obviously, they are discriminated against because of that, but they're not... Do you know? Do you understand what I'm trying to I say? I get what you're saying, but I do think that um, she might be kind of looking at how different cultures are with each other, like how America kind of always thinks that they're better and that we mm-hmm. have different knowledge or even like different religions, which we don't have to go into a whole debate about that. But I do think that it could be... That's true. It's like the different species are like different cultures and they're right. Own, yeah. Um, I mean, not, again, this is like an exaggerated world, but I think that it could be something that she's kind of fleshing out here. Mm-hmm. And she does and she does play with that, especially, I think, when you get back to centaurs and obviously house elves and slavery. Definitely. So one question I had is, why would Dumbledore have Hagrid do this while he's with Harry? And I think, the, when I say do this, I mean um, deliver the package mm-hmm. or pick up the package. And I think that he wants Harry to find out, and I have just come up with this theory while reading it through this time, that I think that the whole purpose of the the trapdoor and everything like that is to test Harry. Like, Dumbledore is testing Harry to see the kind of person he is and whether he's going to be worthy to, to do his ultimate plan. And I think that he's, he's just being introduced to Harry as, like, an 11-year-old, like, kind of grown-up. And I think that he, I think it's a test, basically. What do you think about that theory? I think it's a really good theory. I'm trying to form my own opinion on it. I think... Because he gives him the invisibility cloak, he explains the mirror, he doesn't have to do any of that. But he also says don't go looking for the mirror again. Right. Because he doesn't want him to, like like, lose himself to the idea of his parents, I think. I mean, it's a theory that is honestly believable like I think it's within the realm of Dumbledore to do this obviously like he's brilliant he has a wonderful mind I'm just trying to think yeah I mean whether... maybe as we go along we'll find holes or like support for it that's yeah. what I hope to find it's a good thing it's a good thing to bring up I'm liking it I just don't know whether or not I guess what's holding me up is it seems careless to create a trap that a child could get through to protect the um the thing that Voldemort wants most of all. Yeah, I but I also think that there's a flaw in the idea that Dumbledore would create obstacles that you could win. Right. See that see that's why I want your theory to be true because I'm thinking about that and I was like, "Oh, this makes sense." The way it doesn't make sense in Cursed Child now. Right. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm gonna, we said that there were gonna be spoilers. Cursed Child spoilers. I, I 
think there's no way Hermione would leave the last time turner in exactly. that little book trail. But um I think maybe we'll we'll talk about this more when we get to that chapter, the trapdoor. Yes. Okay. 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 Let's wait. Um, just so we have, you know, stuff to talk about, because you know we won't have anything to talk about for oh, that yeah. chapter. No. <laughs> um, I had another question about the world. The world, and in book seven, we learn about uh, what are the rules of Green Gods? Like you have to present your wand. Now neither Harry nor Hagrid has a wand they can present. And they sort of just walk in, and Harry has his key, but, like, Hagrid could be an imposter, and all he has is this little note from Dumbledore, and they're about to hand over the Sorcerer's Stone, and it's in this high-security vault, and I just think it's really... Well, I... I I think I can poke a couple of holes in that. Um, One is that in the seventh book, they kind of talk about how security has been strengthened in Gringotts because of okay. Voldemort and all of that. And then with Hagrid being an imposter, I think Hermione brings up at some point that you can't use polyjuice for half. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think it's interesting that they just accept the key. Like, Hagrid gives them the key because Harry obviously doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. So, And then how did Hagrid get the key to the Potter's Vault is, like, a question I, I think Dumbledore have. probably But did. how did he get it? Like, how did they, like, they, get this was, little key? I'm sure that in... I'm sure that it defaulted to Dumbledore just like the baby defaulted to Dumbledore. Like, <laughs> Dumbledore... Because they couldn't give it to Sirius, and he has no other family. So they were like, okay... Uh, Some magic with wills, I guess, Yeah. Maybe. So the <laughs> the actual cards and stuff, I definitely sympathize with Hagrid. Um, because, like I said, we went to the Harry Potter world, and we did the Gringotts ride. And I do not like rides, and I just wanted to get off of it, just like Hagrid. And I just am like, I get you, man. <laughs> I love rides, and I love roller coasters, and I loved the Green Gots ride. I... But, I, while I empathize with Molly and her not liking of traveling in a roller coaster of any sorts, I also don't think, Molly, you're going to get on a flying motorbike anytime soon. No, I will not. Right. So why is Hagrid having such difficulty with this when he, like, rides a flying motorbike on boost on the regular? It's like the cards. Like, you don't have any control over them Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, I get it. I get it. I also have a thing with heights, which is why I wouldn't like the flying motorbike. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just seems like Hagrid is, like, particularly not dealing with this. Yeah. And he is a brave, uh sort of person. I think his is more motion sickness and mine is more just fear of my life while I'm on rides. <laughs> so a little different, but I'm like with Hagrid. <laughs> and so another thing about the world, really quick, is how much money does Harry really have? So she sets up the... Give me a second. Okay, so there are 17 sickles to one galleon. And a galleon... And 29 canuts to a sickle. And 29 canuts to a sickle. So here's my note, I guess, is that the lady, when she's complaining, because I've always wanted to do this, and now that we're doing the podcast, I have an excuse. 
Um, oh yeah, she says seventeen. She seven sickles an ounce, which means that it's a galleon an ounce. Yes, it's a galleon. It's a galleon an ounce. But if anything is a galleon an ounce, that makes me think a galleon is representative of a dollar, like or a pound, like roughly. I think it's more. I think it's like ten pounds or something. But even so, how much money does Harry really have? Like he says, it's like stacks of gold. But that doesn't seem like that much to me. Like, how do they house all this money? Because if it's, like, $10 is a, like, gold coin, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, I definitely have a lot of questions about money, like, how much things cost in proportion to the other things, because in the second book, the Weasleys pick up, like, one single galleon, and that's supposed to be able to get all of their books and stuff. Yeah, I'm just very confused about the way money works in general, which I know that they're poor, but that's, like, not enough in comparison. Because I don't know if it's, I just said 10 pounds, but it could be, like, 100 pounds. But then, like, Harry buys those omnioculars for 10 galleons. See? that ma- That's why I think, were those omnioculars 100 pounds? That's crazy amount of money. And then Ron seems to think that he can pay it back at some point, which makes me think it has to be less than 100 pounds. Yeah, I have no... I think someone has done some conversions online, um, and they've, like, counted the number of stacks that Harry has, and it's, like, in the millions, I think. Oh. I think that's what they said. I mean, in the... This is based on the movie. In the movie, it, it does look like a lot. Like, it goes back a ways. Yeah, that's true. And... And I guess, I mean, I think about it, obviously I'm in the fan fiction world, I think about it from that standpoint, where in fan fiction, Harry's always talking about, but I guess in fan fiction where I'm reading it, he has his fortune combined with the whole black fortune, which is a lot, oh, and true. everyone's always just like, Harry's like, doesn't worry about money. He's but like, he does work when ears. he's older. I know, I just... Which, we learned that his like dad didn't, which I'm judged. James. James. Reflect. Like, rich boy James. <laughs> but that makes so much sense with James's character. I can't even speak of it. I know. And they were, like, fighting a war at the time. That's true. Let's give him a break. He was in between. He hadn't figured out his life yet. Uh, yeah. So, my next note is about Draco. Oh, okay. Look, it's time for the talk, Okay. Well, can I just say my thing real quick? Yes. Because my only note is Draco sucks. <laughs> so here's the deal. It's time for the talk. It's going to happen here, and it's probably going to happen when we meet Snape for the first time. I really, really like characters that are unlikable. I, I like them in every book slash TV show slash movie. I read, watch... It's gonna happen. I clearly, I'm in the fanfiction community. The fanfiction community loves Draco. I'm amongst them. Um, He's a little shit. He's a little prat. He's all of those things. And I still adore him. And I'm, I just got my Secret Santa uh, gift from my work. And they got me the illustrated version of the first Harry Potter. And they have a whole page in this book dedicated to what I've called my baby. And, um, I'm rolling my eyes right now for the other listeners. She's doing a hard eye roll. And just 
to be fair, it's like when you have Dudley, uh, Dudley or the Dursleys or what, um, or sorry, Vernon Dursley as your chapter champion. I don't like them because they're good people. I like them because they make me think and they're interesting people to figure out. I agree. I think that Draco is like such a amazing character but i don't think that pays off till later on in the series like six oh no right now he's still a little shit right now i'm just like draco sucks he sucks the most and uh jim dale's voice for him is so so perfect it's so fun oh jim dale sorry it's so perfect he's like oh i are you gonna be can you imagine being in a hobbleball Yes, I heard he's some sort of savage. Yeah. Ooh. You're from... Your parents were wizards, though. They were our kind. They were our kind. Oh, wait. Did you come with him? (laughs) Oh, but just anyway, um, we also... Draco has an amazing character arc, and so does his whole family. And I... I was paying attention to it more this time, obviously, because of the podcast, and I love that he's like, yeah, my dad's looking at getting my books next door, and my mom is looking at wands for me, because it's such, like, normal uh, parent-child behavior, which you don't really get of the Malfoys, which is a lot of people like to talk about the Malfoy abuse, and... I think Draco does have a lot of abuse from the sense of his parents forced this belief system on him that is really damaging to him. And then that later puts him into abusive situations when Voldemort's in his house and things like that. But I think he has a really good loving family life with a little extra pressure put on from Lucius. I think his dad would maybe be I don't I think abusive is a strong word because I think that he he puts a lot of pressure I'll compare it to another show that we like to watch Alex and I watch Gilmore Girls and I think it's kind of like Logan Huntsberger and his dad's relationship where he kind of bullies him yes and it even starts in this chapter when Mm -hmm. uh when Draco's like, my dad says that it'd be embarrassing it'd be a disgrace if I wasn't on the Quidditch team Yeah, and so you see that his family life is almost, it's it's normal. Like, we had, like, parents that put... Although, I don't think my mom would let me go to, like, the store by myself when I'm 11. Like, she would stay with me. I know they're all on one street, but... I also think it might be one of those things where um, their family goes to that seamstress's shop, Madame Malkin's, a lot, because... I've never heard of other wizarding robes. robes, clothing. So it might be one of those things where it's like, if my mom would leave me at the hair salon when I was little, yeah. that when I was younger, because we knew the lady who did my hair, I was there all the time. Which I I just realized this, that um, Madame Malkins is again where we see Harry and Draco meet in the sixth book, mm-hmm. um, which is just a lovely tie-in that that's where... He first meets him, and then that's where he meets him again towards the end of end of the series. Winky face to all my Drury fans. <laughs> um. Oh boy. Oh boy, indeed. <laughs> off, off Malfoy for a little bit. Um, but oh, just a quick sweets count for Harry. Hagrid gets him a big ice cream. Oh yeah, big ice cream. Just gotta keep track of that. <laughs> um, this is like still on what uh. Malfoy was saying, but this is the first time we get to know a little bit about the houses. 
Oh, yeah. And one thing I think is really funny is that Hufflepuff from this, from the first mention of the houses, has it rough. Like, it is a sad time for Hufflepuff horror. Malfoy is like, can you imagine being a Hufflepuff? And I'm sitting here like, Malfoy, is that really the one you can't imagine being? You would rather be a Gryffindor than be a Hufflepuff? Def- I think he definitely would rather be a Gryffindor than a Hufflepuff. But his family is, like, that Slytherin, like, it just seems like Gryffindor would be more disgusting to him. I, but see, I think that, um, in terms of traits, like, Hufflepuff and Slytherin are the furthest apart. No, I, I agree with that, but I, I think that the innate, like, Gryffindor as the do-gooders, uh, that, like, I don't know, maybe you don't have that sort of house animosity until you're in that house. I think that Slytherin and Gryffindors have always had, like, a rivalry, but I still think that Malfoy would be more embarrassed to be in Hufflepuff, because at least if he was in Gryffindor, he has, like, he can be like, I'm brave and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. Because he doesn't value the Hufflepuff traits. That's true, that's true, that's true. And the Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, and, your, and then the Slytherin traits are relatively sim- similar, Yeah, at, uh, excluding, like, some prominent differences, but their main traits right. are... This is amazing. Um, Harry, this, and we've talked about this, about what a kind, gentle soul he is. And just his immediate defense of Hagrid just warms my heart every single time. And every time I read it, it brings, like, a great smile to my face because this boy has known no love, but he's so loyal to Hagrid because Hagrid's the first person that's loved him. He's known him for like half a day and, and he's, he's ready like, to defend I think he's him. amazing. I and love I'm it. And I'm like, oh, Harry, I love you. And Draco's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he would never defend anyone like that. He would be like a sly defense in case, he needs like wiggle room in case he needs to like go back, back on it. Yeah, exactly. I also think it's a cool way to get prejudice from the eyes of a child for the first time. Like, this first, like, pure blood, um, I think it should all be within the wizarding family. I think it's interesting that we get it from Draco's point of view for the first time. Which, you don't really know that it's a prejudice right then. Like, Mm -hmm. because Harry doesn't know that. So you kind of just hear it, Mm -hmm. and it gets reinforced later, which I think is, I think you're right, it's really strong. I'm adding a count on how many times someone says that Harry looks like his dad or oh. or that his eyes are like his mom's. Uh, Mother's Eyes has two right now yeah. from from where we are talking in our discussion. But um, Ollivander... What about in the Keeper of the Keys chapter? Have you counted that? Because Hagrid says it to him in that chapter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. We're at one and then Ollivander says it. So I meant two. No one says it in the Leaky Cauldron? I don't think so. I mean, I trust you. I don't specifically recall. I don't think anyone says it in the Leaky Cauldron. I will go back and if uh, and look, and I will update on next chapter, okay. next episode. Alright, so the moment I've been waiting for in this chapter is Ollivander. So when I first listened to this book... <laughs> When my mom read it out loud to me, I always thought that Ollivander was a shady dude. And I just would like to present the trial of Ollivander with these couple of clips. Please stop. An old man was standing before them, his wide, pale eyes shining like moons through the gloom of the shop. 
Mr. Ollivander moved closer to Harry. Harry wished he would blink. Those silvery eyes were a bit creepy. Mr. Ollivander had come so close that he and Harry were almost nose to nose. Harry could see himself reflected in those misty eyes. And that's where... Mr. Ollivander touched the lightning scar on Harry's forehead with a long white finger. I'm sorry to say I sold the wand that did it, he said softly. Thirteen and a half inches. You, powerful wand, very powerful, and in the wrong hands. Well, if I'd known what that wand was going out into the world to do. He shook his head and then, to Harry's relief, spotted Hagrid. Well, 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 how curious, how very curious. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Harry shivered. He wasn't sure he liked Mr. Ollivander too much. He paid seven gold galleons for his wand, and Mr. Ollivander bowed them from his shop. Yeah, so I'm just saying that we're not supposed to like Mr. Ollivander because Harry does it. And I, as a seven or eight-year-old, when I was listening to this the first time, and we got to, like, the last chapter, and it says... And it wasn't Quirrell, and it wasn't, or, no, it wasn't, it wasn't Snape, and it wasn't even Voldemort. My mom asked my sister and I, who do you think it is? Like, trying to get us to guess who it was before we got to the next chapter. And my first thought was, it's Ollivander the wand guy. <laughs> you thought that the person trying to steal the stone was Ollivander. Look, he's real shady. He touches Harry's scar, which he's just personal space. Ollivander is just like that kind of person, though. That person that like is all up in your business at all times, and he thinks he knows you because of like. I just get such a bad vibe from him in this first introduction. And then you do he like Harry continues to not like him in the seventh one. Like. For everyone else, he gives an excuse to. Like, when Xenophilius, like, sells him out, he's like, oh, it's because of Luna. But Ollivander, like, tells Voldemort the truth about wands because he's being tortured and Harry's like, ugh, still don't like him. But he's not mad at him for telling the information. He just says, even after talking to him, like, he still doesn't... He says something, like what you're saying, but he just is such a strange dude. And I just thought that it was... I thought it was like she was laying the seed like she did for Quirrell, but I thought it was for Ollivander. Like, let's introduce this character early on, and then he comes back. Your mind was a working. I love it. I was <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um, and in the movie, he's very creepy, too. See, I think that's why I like Ollivander is because of the movie. Like, he's creepy in the movie, but I was interested in his character. Maybe me as a child, that was my first brush with liking people that are strange. But I just was like, ooh, maybe Ollivander... I don't know, he just he gives you the wand, and I felt I was always so interested in that, that whole scene. That is cool. But, like, the fact that Harry says he doesn't like him, I feel like that's supposed to mean something for the reader. I agree. I agree that it yeah. is supposed to mean something. I and as an adult when I read it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I see stranger danger. I get this." 
But when I was a kid, I think I was so into like, and I liked him because he remembered everybody's wand. That type. is I pretty was cool. Like, this guy, he cares, he's a little old man who cares about everybody's wands. But I don't know what J.K. Rowling wants us to think of him. Like, it's not really clear what she wants us to take away, I think. Yeah. I don't know. He's a, I mean, he's not like a huge character, but it's and just I interesting. also love his little interaction with Hagrid about his wand and the umbrella. Very awkward. Very awkward. He's like, so... Uh, Hagrid, I remember your wand. Let me tell you everything about it. Oh, but I guess they snapped it. And Hagrid's like, yeah, but I still kept it. And he's like, but you don't use it, do ya? And Hagrid's like, of no. course not. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> uh, another thing, we get a little tidbit about Harry's parents is that he describes both of their wands. And for James, he says, good for transfiguration. And I've had that in my and too. he is really good at transfiguration. He's an animagus. Yes. I thought that was such a cute little tidbit. Like, did she know then? I guess she did. I don't... Yeah, because I think she had the third... Like, I think she had up to the third book at least planned out. Oh, gosh, that woman's so smart, man. I know. Ugh, so good. Um, so that's that's all my Ollivander notes. <laughs> um, my only other Ollivander, no- Ollivander note is, like, just another thing with J.K. Rowling being so smart is setting the seed for wand lore. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Of course you will never get the same results from another wizard's wand is such a huge, important part of the seventh book and the end of this whole series. And I'm sitting here reading this, like, J.K. And, of course, the stuff with the two cores, but, like, that's an even... Yes, bigger, and the two, but yeah, yeah or that, more subtle thing. Yeah, I was just sitting. I was so so impressed, so impressed. Yeah, I I was picking up on that this read through also. Um, so my last note is just at the very end of this chapter where um, we kind of get the first introduction to Harry's whole um, being special complex because I think he does have a complex about it. Oh, definitely. And But I think Hagrid gives him some great advice. Everyone thinks I'm special, he said at last. All those people in the Leaky Cauldron, Professor Quirrell, Mr. Ollivander, but I don't know anything about magic at all. How can they expect great things? I'm famous and I can't even remember what I'm famous for. I don't know what happened when Vol... Sorry, I mean... The night my parents died. Hagrid leaned across the table. Behind the wild beard and eyebrows, he wore a very kind smile. Don't you worry, Harry. You'll learn fast enough. Everyone starts at the beginning at Hogwarts. You'll be just fine. Just be yourself. I know it's hard. You've been singled out, and that's always hard. But you'll have a great time at Hogwarts. I did. Still do, as a matter of fact. I just think it's such, it's such good Hagrid advice. And Especially, I, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying, I love it. I just, it, like, it warms my heart. It's such good life advi- advice, too. It's like sometimes, you know, things are expected of you, and sometimes you fall short, or sometimes you feel like you're going to fall short, and you just got to live your life, you know? And I think it's especially poignant from Hagrid because 
he also went into Hogwarts being different. And he's like, you've been singled out. And so was Hagrid. I mean, not in the same way, but he was much no, bigger yeah. than everybody. And so he knows what it's like to feel different. And he might not have had the same expectations, but he had probably lower expectations because people maybe knew that he was half giant. So he had that that he had to deal with. And I think that he just gives such such great advice to to young Harry. And I think that... Um, it's also a good introduction that this is something that is going to bother Harry for the rest of the series. Like, is he really special or is it just luck or, you know, that whole idea that he kind of grapples with. I 100% agree. So one other note was that maybe Dumbledore did make a good call when he um, had Harry not grow up in the wizarding world because can you imagine him dealing with this but like having been known knowing it this whole time so in some ways it's like hard because he he didn't know about this so he's like I don't even know what I'm special for I'm just learning that I'm famous but I think that's a good thing that he didn't know why he was oh, famous I always agreed that it was wonderful that he grew up not knowing about magic and not right. growing because I think growing up well I don't then, think it's wonderful I think it's really sad that he missed out on all that no I'm sorry wonderful was a bad word I think it's it's really smart of Dumbledore yeah, like yeah. I think he made the right call there I just don't think that the way he was treated in the Dursleys should have been overlooked oh, def no <laughs> definitely but, but I do think it was the smart choice to have him not grow up knowing magic because you imagine like every small little thing that he did he'd be scrutinized he might become an obscurist I don't know like it, yeah it, it would just be really be a lot of pressure, pressure. just lot like Draco deals with and and I think it reminds me of oh my gosh I'm gonna I'm bringing up Cursed Child so much it reminds me of like Albus is under a lot of pressure to be you know like everybody thinks Albus is a squib or that he doesn't Aww. have a lot of good magic yeah. because he has so much pressure because one his dad is Harry Potter and two he was named after some great wizards that's like a pretty big yeah. jinx but um yeah so I yeah I think it's just in that way Dumbledore did make the right call I just think that this quote maybe showcases that a little bit yeah I oh, just my last note just to end on a like silly note I always forget that Harry after this magical wonderful birthday that he has has to go back and live with the Dursleys for a month Ugh, the Dursleys. like in the movies he just goes yeah right from which is nice but he has to go and live with the Dursleys again and I think it's sad <laughs> That's all. I'm glad you brought up the Dursleys, though, because I meant to bring this up in the third chapter when we were talking about the letters from no one. And this is just a funny personal story. Um, so I work with a child with autism, and I was reading the first book out loud to him. And he, the main thing that he took away from the whole book was the fact that the Dursleys wouldn't give Harry his letters. And he was very upset with that. <laughs> And one day, um, he got upset with me because I was, uh, telling him he couldn't do something, and he called me a Dursley, and <laughs> he did not know how much that hurt me. <laughs> um, he obviously didn't fully understand what he was saying to me, but it was so funny that he just held on like, to that you're a dursley didn't care about Voldemort, but the dursleys were his biggest villain because they kept that letter from harry that's amazing 
Uh, so I just meant to tell that anecdote um, in the last one, but now now you get it here as a little extra <laughs> tidbit. <laughs> just a little, a little mo- uh, glimpse into the Molly world. <laughs> yeah. So are we ready to name our chapter champion and our reading rat? I am ready. My rat is Draco because everyone else in this chapter um, I really like or I'm interested in. And so my reading rat is my bubba, Draco. Um, I would have given it to Draco, but I had to give it to... um, my villain, Mr. Ollivander. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, oh my god. Okay. Um, yeah. So my chapter champion, I think, had to be Hagrid, especially with his advice. I know that I think we both gave it to him for the last chapter, but I, that ending note was just so lovely. I could not give it to Hagrid again. See, um, I'm also breaking a rule with my chapter champion, but in a different way. I gave it to Harry because this is my, this is the first time I really fall in love with Harry as a character is when he defends Hagrid for the first time. Oh, good point. And so I give him my chapter champion thing because he doesn't have to do that. And especially at the, at age 11, I remember being at that age or even like now as an adult, when you meet people, especially someone like Draco, who's clearly like this cool person you it's easy to get caught up in that and you might say something like oh yeah like that oh to try to foot fit in you yeah. know to try to be cool and harry doesn't he's like no hagrid's amazing and i love that about him i think he's so loyal and and his his heart is what makes him a really strong protagonist so I yeah. gave it to harry even though we try not to make harry our champion but i think that's something that's so specific to him that yeah I think I mean I don't think we don't have to give it to Harry I just want to use it I guess sparingly for for my part Mm -hmm. um so do you want to rename the chapter would you like to go first (laughs) yeah my chapter title is not clever it uh is just something that stood out to me in this chapter it's called hard start for Hufflepuff (laughs) because not only does Draco hate on Hufflepuff, but our second mention of houses is Haggard going, and then there's Hufflepuff. Everyone thinks they're a bunch of duffers. Yeah. I'm just like rough for Hufflepuff. Um, so I think my chapter title, I was going to do something with um, going shopping and like his little shopping spree, but after we were talking, I think what my chapter rename is going to support my new theory about Dumbledore and it's mm. going to be um Dumbledore's first test mm, okay because he gets his first little um taste or of suspense for his own mystery about the package and vault 713 I thought your chapter title was going to be the trial of Ollivander oh yes uh, <laughs> also slash trial of Ollivander <laughs> That, yeah, that would have been funny, too. Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Hoggy, Hoggy, Hogwarts, teach us something, please. Quiz, 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 quiz. Uh, Okay, so who wants to do uh, the first quiz question? I'll go first. So, 
What is the pattern to get into Diagon Alley? What? <laughs> it's it's two it's two steps. Okay. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is okay. Harder. Okay. You always do them harder than me. I know. No, this is. I just can't. Do they describe it in the book? Yes. Like he taps. I know he goes to, like, the right, like, one, two over or something like that. That's really close, actually, Molly. It's three up and two across. Okay. Two over, so... I thought it was, like, one up and two over, but, yeah. No, that okay. was a really hard one, and you No, did that well was a good it. question. I was, like, ugh, I obviously didn't play the game that much enough. Yeah, I was, when you were bringing up the game, I was like, oh, she's gonna get this so easily. No. Oh, that was good. All right, so my question actually might be easier this time, especially because I it was quoted earlier in the podcast. Oh boy. Um. So, can you name the measurements and type of wand that Harry has and Voldemort's? Okay. Um. Um. Do you want to do Harry's first? I can't name Voldemort. Okay, I know it has a phoenix feather core. For which one? They both, because yeah. they share the same core. <laughs> that was a test. Um, I was like, what? I was like, this is a trick question, right? It was right? a trick. But there, are, there is more. So, um, do you know the tree for fairies? Uh, yes, I feel like I do. Ugh. Gosh, this is so embarrassing. I know Draco's. Oh my god! I know it because Harry talks so much about it. He they calls talk it, about Harry's. I know, but Harry calls his uh, Harry calls Draco's the Hawthorne wand like a million times because he's so angry about it. In he the refers one. to his a lot in the seventh one. Too. I know. I'm trying to think about it. Why do I know Draco's wand okay. so well? No, don't tell. No hints. No hints. Okay. I'm gonna get it. Um. Oh my gosh! I know it because I. Uh, I'm thinking of the seventh one. It also starts with an eight. Holly. Yeah. It's Holly. And Holly it's and 12, 12 and quarter inches? 11 inches. Oh. And do you want to try Voldemort's? No. Actually, Voldemort's got listed earlier. I accidentally included it in my trial of Ollivander. What is it? <laughs> it's Yule and Phoenix, 13 and a half inches. <laughs> well, I've just So failed. we both kind of stumped each other, so... Yeah, although mine shouldn't have been a stump. That was pretty awful for me. Do you have another question for me? Do you want another one? This sure. one might even be hard. Oh, no. Okay, let's see. Okay. Can... We'll cut it if I don't get it. Can you name, or at least tell me what they sell, all the shops that Harry goes to? Okay. He goes to the wand shop, obviously. It sells wands. He goes to Madame Malkin's, which sells robes. Mm -hmm. He goes to get his uh, the cauldron shop and mm -hmm. buys his pewter cauldron, wants to buy a gold one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have uh, four more. Well, it's like three. Okay, he goes to his bookshops mm -hmm. to do get all his... this. They don't say the name. Oh, yes, I think they do say the name, but... Of the, of the books? Yeah, and they talk about it in the second one, too. Wait, the bookshop. Wait. Oh, what the name? Oh, uh, yes. Um, I know what it is. Stop saying Florence and Fortitude's. That's an, that's the, the ice cream. It does start with an F. Um, Flourish and Blots. Yeah. Um, and Hagrid goes to the ice cream shop, but I don't think. Yeah. You, I didn't not, count You didn't those. count that? Okay. Um, they go to the 
pet store to get headway. Do you remember what it's called? No. It starts with an E. Eyelops. Oh, I, yeah. Eyelops. Eyelops, yeah. Yeah. Um... And then I wasn't sure, so he talks about getting, like, parchment, so I don't know if that's a separate store, if that's part of Flourish and Bloods. Um, and then the last one was just the Apothecary. Alright, so I would say ten points to Gryffindor. For that, that one. Woof, redeemed. <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. That was, yeah, that was going to be my other question. Actually, my third question, just in case you had one of those, was the conversion from Sickles and Canets to Galleons. But we, we already we talked about that. It, so, um, good thing I had some spares. Yeah. Also, that wouldn't have been a bad one because I was so... Um, I know. I was so, like, on the money. I was... <laughs> on the money? <laughs> hey! <laughs> All right, so the last thing we have to do before we say bye to this uh, very long episode of Potter Watch is um, rate the chapter, which we uh, have been forgetting to do. It, to do. Yeah. Um... I give this point, uh, this chapter, 100 points to JK. I am very impressed with this chapter. She has to set up a lot, and she has to do it in um, a very fun way, and I think that she's successful in that. And we got a great glimpse of our little shit Draco, so... Um, I think that I'll go a little less, because I think I'm going to give the next chapter more points. Um, so I'm going to say 75 points. That's true. I feel to, like um, I'm going to, like, get up to, like, a thousand points yeah. at some point, because I, I also love the next chapter. And I'll say 75 points, um, to Green Gods. Mm. Or 75 Galleons to Green Ooh, Gods. Ooh, 75 Galleons? Well... The conversion rate, that means it's, like, we have no idea. A million JK, dollars. <laughs> inform us. Um, all right. That's another episode of Potter Watch. If you're tuning, if you'd like to tune in next week, the password will be um, the card that comes with Harry's chocolate frog. Who's on his card? Oh, good one. Mischief Managed. Bum, bum, ba, bum, 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 bum.